All right, turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue this morning uh, the series we've been on, Zeal for the House of Prayer. This morning I want to uh, share a prophetic story. I'm going to share it at the end, actually, that I don't think I've, I think I've just shared it twice publicly. Uh, once right after it happened, and then once in the house of prayer, and I, I feel like the Lord is speaking about this right now. Um, a couple prophetic words and a and a uh, and a dream. Actually, I think the Lord is actually identifying this this prophetic encounter that uh, is pertinent to us. And so I wanted to share that this morning uh, along the, these lines of building the house of prayer. This is, um, an, I believe, an important word. And uh, I think this, I'll just confess my sin. I think in the past, I've um, kind of just got into a little bit of false humility and said, well, I'm not going to say that because that's too uh, out there, too incredible. But you know what? I think I'm just going to go ahead and say it as it is and tell it. And then, you know what? Let the chips fall where they may. Sometimes you just got to give the proclamation and just whatever, whatever happens. And so uh, I just trust the Lord that... uh, he will utilize uh, whatever we proclaim that's according to his will and, and utilize them in the way that he, the words in the way he wants. So anyway, uh, just a little disclaimer there, but Matthew 6, I wanna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start and um, kind of build a story. Then I want to reference David and his uh, building of the house of prayer when he first set up the tabernacle of David. I want to tell that story. And then I want to tell the prophetic story at the end that, that I think the Lord is highlighting in this hour. And so... Matthew 6, uh, very familiar to us, Sermon on the Mount. We love the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, here right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. Verse 9 of Matthew 6, he says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think it's powerful that many churches... Uh, uh, all across this nation and really the world, they, they pray this prayer every single morning, every single Sunday morning. And they pray these lines, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm just going to take that phrase. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think the central theme of the Lord's prayer is the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. The establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. Now think about that thought for a minute. If Jesus says, okay, this is the model prayer, this is how I want you to pray, this is what I want you to pray about, and then in the very middle uh, section, the, the key theme of it is establish your kingdom on earth in the same manner, in the same way that it's established in heaven, establish it here, that tells us that there's a uh, real focus in the heart of the Lord Jesus about seeing the kingdom of God come on the earth. Not simply uh, there being this reality of, you know, so, sort of heaven is up there and earth is down here and maybe you get a little sprinkle. Now he actually says, establish it, the kingdom of God, establish it in this place. And uh, Ephesians 1, it, it clarifies to us, he says that in the fullness of time, God has made known the, the, the mystery of His will, and it's the joining together of all things under one head. That's how the NIV puts it. Under one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He says, all things in heaven and all things in earth. 
Beloved, this thing is going to this, that heaven and earth are going to be joined together under the leadership of one man, and his name is Jesus. That's, that's a uh, divine mystery of the Father's will. Said, he says, in the fullness of time that he would join together all things under one head, the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus gives us the uh, sort of the precursory thoughts to that there in the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. He says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's speaking of a fusing of both realities, of the heavenly realm invading the natural realm. And both those two coming together with the kingdom power of God released on the earth. Now the kingdom of God, it's a mystery. I like uh, George Ladd. He's a, he was a great scholar and writer. He says, you know, he got, he got, uh, he quote this, he, he coined this famous phrase. He said, the kingdom of God is the already but not yet kingdom. It's already here and it's coming. And it's a great mystery. The kingdom of God is already here. The kingdom is within us. The Holy Spirit that dwells within believers. The kingdom of God is here within us and, and manifests through the church in the earth. And the kingdom is coming. It's a both and. It's the already but not yet kingdom. And, and so when Jesus is speaking of let the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he's speaking of Yes, the reality that we're experiencing now through the, through the new birth and the new covenant, but also he's speaking of in fullness the merging of both realities together. And the, the fruition of this prayer in Matthew 6, it won't be completely realized until Jesus Christ is ruling the planet. Beloved, this is where we're going. Jesus Christ is going to be ruling the planet. He will be here bodily, ruling the planet from Jerusalem. It's called the age to come. We like to call it the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And that's going to be the fruition. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The full uh, answer to that prayer will be realized when Jesus is ruling on the planet. Now, here's the thing. We've got to understand this. God wants to release kingdom authority. He wants to release the government of the kingdom of God, he wants to release it on the earth. He wants to release the government of God, the kingdom authority. He wants to release that on the earth. And the way that the kingdom of God uh, is set up and the way that things move in the kingdom of God is through this uh, vehicle called prayer. God asks people to make requests of his throne, and from his throne, he answers those requests, and that's how he moves and releases his authority in the earth realm. He actually causes it, I mean, it's just a crazy thought, but he actually causes the authority of the kingdom of God to, to uh, work in partnership with humankind. In other words, God doesn't sit there on the throne as a dictator and just start demanding everything to go just the way he wants it, what he does is he puts his will in the mind of men and then he asks those men to ask him for his will. That's called prayer. And then when we ask God for his will, he answers and releases kingdom decrees and that's how the authority of the kingdom of God is released on the earth. Amen. So God has joined everything uh, in his kingdom. He's, he's, he's attached the vehicle of prayer as the means by which he gets things done, as the means by which he releases his government, as the means by which he releases authority. Now, the throne room of God in heaven 
is set up in the place of night and day prayer. All day, all night, every day, forever around the throne of God, there are myriads of angels, saints from all the ages. I mean, you have living creatures. You've got sound, sight, music, song. They sing back and forth in antiphonal response. In fact, in some ways, if you look at the book of Revelation and you see all that happens from uh, the, the, the beginning to the end of it, it's actually got um, real detailed aspects of, a, of a, a liturgy that's going on in heaven. These guys sing, then these guys sing. And then after these guys sing, something happens and a few, you know, they fall out. And then you know, after they get themselves back together, they start singing again. And so there's this liturgy, it's a prophetic liturgy that's taking place in the throne room. And so the throne room is this place of continuous worship and prayer. And that's because that's how God runs his kingdom. The throne is the place from which he makes the decrees and decisions. The throne room is a place of continual worship and prayer. Uh, The saints' prayers are continually offered before the throne of God, and from the throne of God are released lightnings and thunderings. Those lightnings and thunderings are the answers to uh, the prayers of the saints. How God answers them is through lightning and thundering. And so this is what's going on in the throne room. I mean, he sets up the governmental center of the universe in worship and prayer. He goes, I want the centerpiece of all created order, my throne, to be set up around this issue of all day, all night worship and prayer. And I'm going to run my kingdom by this vehicle called prayer. I'm going to ask men to ask me to establish my will, and that's how the authority and the government of the kingdom of God will be released in the earth. It's powerful. Powerful. This is the the way that it takes place. And so, this prayer that Jesus prays in Matthew 6, I mean, it's got multiple implications. The your kingdom come, your will be done. It's got multiple implications on a bunch of different levels. But, but ultimately, I just want to focus today on the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. Now, here's what I'm trying to get to. Because I'm just kind of throwing out a bunch of doctrine on prayer and, and authority and government. But I want to just say it this way. Jesus wants the kingdom to be established on the earth as it is in heaven. And I'm, I believe this, that he's saying, I want the same means and the same uh, application, the same uh, stuff to be done. He goes, I want the, the way that the kingdom is run in heaven, I want it to be run that way in the earth so that uh, authority and government can be released in the earth realm. He's ultimately wanting the authority of heaven to be released in the earth. And so I think he's saying, I want the same vehicle and I want the same manifestation of the power of the throne room released on the planet. And I believe, beloved, that's why... He is continually, throughout the scripture, identifying the issue of night and day prayer and commissioning believers to set it up. And so I believe that that's why David got the blueprint for the tabernacle of David. Because God wanted a place that was on earth as it is in heaven in order to release release kingdom government in the earth. Is this making sense? And so I want to take a look then at David. We love the story, and, and I, you can read uh, these, this story in uh, 2 Samuel 6 and 7. 
And then in 1 Chronicles 16 and 17. And I'm just going to tell the story of it. But David, you, you know the story. You've heard it. David, he wants to get the ark. He wants to get it back in Jerusalem. He wants to set it up in the tent that he's already erected. In fact, he's already set up a, a tabernacle. It just, it's lacking the ark. And so he goes, and he, and he goes to get the ark. And, and remember the first time, uh, what happens is that they didn't know how to carry it the right way. They put it on a new cart, and the oxen stumbled. And a man was killed as he reached out and touched the ark because they were mishandling the presence of the Lord. So David, they, he goes back and he reads, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to be carrying the ark? Oh, it goes on the shoulders of the Levites. Ha! Ah, nobody's supposed to be touching this thing. Okay, good. And he hears from Jerusalem, this guy, Obed-Edom, this guy has got the ark in his house. I don't know if he set it up in his living room. I don't know what he did, but he set up the ark there in his house. And when he set up the ark of God there in his house, all of a sudden, everything the man had began to get blessed. Everything he had, the glory of God there in his living room. I mean, I don't know how you do that. You know, okay, don't, nobody touch it, but it's good for us. I mean, I, amazing piece of furniture, Obed. I mean, where'd you get that? Well, it's the glory of God <laughs> resides there on that ark. Amazing. Anyway, so that guy's house, he, all that he owns begins to get blessed. David hears about it. He goes, I knew it. I've got to have the presence of God. I need to have the ark of God. See, that's where the glory of the Lord resided. It was above this ark. So David reads, okay, we're supposed to get it, uh, put it on the shoulders of Levites. And what does he do? Goes back to Obed-Edom's house, gets the Levites, gets the poles, puts it through the rings on the sides of the ark. They carry it. Every six paces, they do a sacrifice, and they bring it into Jerusalem. David, strips, he strips himself down, basically, to his underwear, and he's spinning and leaping and dancing before the ark of God. It's a great picture because, you know, when a king would come in to, uh, uh, you know, uh, to a city that he, he was ruler of, Many times the court jester would be in front of the procession dancing and, and, and making fun um, just, as a, just as an entertainment in, in honor of the king. And here's David. He's the king, but what does he do? He strips himself down to his underwear, gets out in front of the ark, and dances like the jester in front of the Lord. And, of course, his, his, one of his wives, Michael, the daughter of Saul, she didn't like that so much. Wasn't the king undignified? He goes, I'll become even more undignified. Because I know who the king is, and it's not me. The Lord is king. So the, the thing is, is this. We've heard lots of teaching on that story, but the, the point is, uh, David gets the ark, and he's not getting the ark just for the purpose of bringing it to Jerusalem. He's getting the ark for the purpose of setting it up in the tabernacle that he'd already erected for it. In fact, that tabernacle sat there for months empty. He already had a blueprint that he'd gotten from Samuel. He'd already had a blueprint for night and day prayer that was supposed to take place in Jerusalem. He'd already set up the tabernacle. And he's bringing the ark back so he can set up night and day worship and prayer before the ark. That's the whole idea. So once he sets up, uh, once he brings back the ark, he brings it right into this little tabernacle that he set up, this tent. And, uh, and they have a great celebration. And, uh, and they have a great meal, and he gives everybody a, a loaf of bread and a cake of raisins and, and a piece of meat, and they, they're, they're enjoying uh, the Lord, and, and they're celebrating. And, and uh, then what does he do? Immediately he turns, and he, and he says to Asaph, he goes, okay, you guys go ahead. And from that moment forward, 
throughout the rest of David's life, uh, Asaph and Jejuthun and, and Heman, the, ch the chief musicians and song leaders, they begin to lead worship and prayer before the ark of God right there. And that's how the tabernacle of David starts. We heard the story about him bringing back the ark, but sometimes we've missed the point that he's actually bringing back the ark to do night and day worship and prayer. That was the whole point. So right there he turns and he says, okay, you guys go ahead. In 1 Chronicles 16, it gives the, the details. It says those guys ministered before the ark every single day regularly as, as the, the ministry required. And, they had, and later on it goes and explains that they had uh, divisions broken up in one-hour segments, uh, 24 groups of one-hour segments, and, and they would take one hour each, and they would just alternate every hour around the clock, and that's how they lived. That's how these guys lived. And so uh, David sets up the ark in this tabernacle, tabernacle of David, that's where we get the biblical pattern for night and day worship and prayer on the earth. It's a picture of the throne room in heaven on the earth. What's David doing? He's setting up a throne room for kingdom government to be released on the planet, on earth as it is in heaven. He's setting up a place where worship and prayer is continually released before the presence of the Lord on the earth so this sphere of kingdom authority can be released on the earth just as it is in heaven. The throne room in heaven is the centerpiece of all created order. From the throne room in heaven, everything under the universe, everything in the realm of the spirit, everything in the realm of the natural, it's all ruled from that throne room. And so what does David do? He sets up a throne room on the planet where we worship the Lord right there before the ark so that the authority of the kingdom of God can be manifest on the earth. Now here's what happened. David gets night and day prayer starting, started and he looks out his, uh, he looks out his window. He's in a palace and God's in like a souped up tent. And he says, this is wrong. What am I doing? He goes, why am I in a palace and God's in a tent? This shouldn't be this way. And he, and he says it to Nathan the prophet, and Nathan prophesies back to him, and he didn't really prophesy, he just said, hey, you're on a roll, you got the ark back, you got night and day prayer going, this is good, because the hand of the Lord is with you, do what's in, whatever's in your heart. He goes, I'm going to build God a temple, that's what David said. So Nathan goes to bed that night, and the Lord appears to Nathan in a dream. And the Lord tells Nathan, one of the, I mean, it's, Probably, I don't know, it's one of the most critical Old Testament prophecies there is. If you don't understand the prophecy that the Lord gives Nathan for David at that time, much of what's going on in the, in the uh, system of theology through the rest of the Bible doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But right there, the Lord speaks to Nathan to give David this prophecy. And what does he say? He says, tell David he cannot build me a house. He is a man of war and a man of bloodshed. And it is not for him to build me a house. He goes, it's a great idea. I'm glad that was in the heart of David. He goes, it is my will to have a house. But David's not going to be the guy that's going to build it. He'll have a son that will build me a house. He goes, so tell David it is not for him to build this house. Now here's where the critical part comes. He goes, but tell David three promises. Number one, tell him Israel will dwell in safety forever. She won't dwell under the oppression of the foreigners as she's had. Number two, tell him he can't build me a house. 
but I will build him a house. And that word house, it, it's literally, it means a royal dynasty. Because I am going to give him authority like no one's ever had. He will have a lineage of kings that will come from his loins. And they'll never cease to be a man from the line of David upon the throne of the kingdom of, of uh, Israel. He goes, and tell him, third, tell him, I will establish the kingdom of his son forever. That is a critical prophecy that the core of the rest of the Old old Covenant and the New Covenant hinge on this issue. And why? Why is that so critical? Here's why. Each one of these prophecies, each one of these promises has a near and a far-sighted fulfillment. It has a down payment that uh, got fulfilled in David's day, but then it has a future uh, complete fulfillment as it relates to the messianic kingdom of God on the earth. And, And so the down payment of Israel... Uh, being in peace was this, that in David and in Solomon's lifetime, there was peace in the nation of Israel like had never been before and never has been since. But the fulfillment of that is this, a day in which Israel will dwell completely in safety, never again to be oppressed by any nation ever. It's, that's what's coming. Israel is going to be the head nation of the earth in the age to come and will never again experience any oppression. This people who has been oppressed on every side, I mean, for years, for thousands of years, there's a day coming promised by the Lord where they will never again ever experience oppression. They will be established as the leader nation of all the nations in the earth. Jesus himself will rule from their midst. Secondly, he goes, he's going to have a lineage of kings. He's going to have a dynasty. He's going to have authority. And what's he talking about? He's talking about David's natural line that from his loins, kings were going to, were going to come. And that's exactly what happened in, in David's, uh, the successive generations after David was on the earth. I mean, you have Solomon, and then the kings just come right from his lines. Now, the kingdom splits after Solomon, but still, the, the southern kingdom, they're all from the house of David. Now, the, the long-term prophecy is this. It's fulfilled, really. It's the, the second and third promise. The long-term idea is this. He goes, your son will rule, and I'll establish his kingdom forever. And in that prophecy is this, and all the, the Jews understand it, and the New Testament is full of it. It's this, that Messiah would come from the loin of David's. That's why they call Messiah David's son, son of David. That's where we get that phrase. It's from that prophecy. I will establish his kingdom forever. Now these are critical prophecies as it relates to the government of God being released on the earth. I want you to get your mind around what happened here. David, he gets the plan with him and Samuel to do night and day prayer. And when he gets the plan, he's not king yet. So the very first thing that he does when he becomes king in Jerusalem is he goes to get the ark. And once he figures out how to get the ark, he brings the ark back. And the very first thing he does as king is set up 24 hours, seven day a week, worship and prayer before the ark of God. And then God responds to David's obedience in this. And essentially the summary of those three promises is this. David, I am going to give you authority and power in the earth like you cannot imagine. 
Messiah is going to come from your loins, and he's going to rule forever, and you're going to be a royal dynasty, and peace will be the, the main course for Israel forever. What about that? He goes, you will have real authority. And I want to tell you, the Lord's promise to David for this real kingdom authority released on the earth, I'm convinced of it. It's because of David's treatment of the heart of God as it relates to establishing worship and prayer night and day. In other words, this. David is obedient to the Lord's call to set up night and day prayer. And as a result, God says to David, kingdom authority will be yours on the earth. It's a preliminary fulfillment of Jesus' prayer, if you can think of it that way. It's an on earth as it is in heaven reality. The throne room in heaven, worship 24-7 on earth. Worship 24-7, throne room in heaven, authority over everything. On the earth, authority as far as David could imagine. And so that response of the Lord is because David sets up night and day prayer. And I believe this, that the Lord is setting up night and day prayer all over the earth at the end of the age because his intention is to release government, the authority of the kingdom of God on the earth in a manner that we have never seen before. This issue of authority and kingdom government released, the on earth as it is in heaven reality, that issue is going to be in manifestation at the highest level at the end of the age. And that's why the Lord is going to set up multiple kingdom outposts all over the planet with 24-7 worship and prayer. He's releasing government through that throne room reality on the earth. When we came to Atlanta, I knew... We came back from Kansas City, and we came to Atlanta. I knew, I didn't know the language of it necessarily, but I knew for sure we were setting up a throne for the Lord in the city. A governmental seat by which the Lord could release all sorts of kingdom activity through this place where the believers of the city, now think about it, those who have authority in the city are the believers of the city. That's how it works. Those who have authority in a city are the believers of the city. When the believers of the city, they come before the Lord and they say, we want your will to be done in our city as it is in heaven. What they're doing is they're opening something in the spirit and allowing kingdom authority to be released all over their city. See, the highest authority in the earth is the church. Jesus said this in Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go. To the church, you go and make disciples of all nations. He goes, take over the earth with the authority that I've given you. And so in any city, the, the, uh, the, the realms of authority, they start with what the church asks for and what the church allows you have the church first, and then you have all the other segments. You have you know, the banking and the, the political and the educational and the entertainment. When you have um, issues, when you have fissures, cracks in the church where the church will allow uh, satanic things to take place, that, that church, that's the overarching authority in that city. Whatever the church allows, that's the bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever the church allows, it will... Uh, it will um, Get, go down, it will something, trickle down, thank you. It will trickle down into all the other realms of authority. You can tell 
what's going on in the church by looking at the uh, billboards of a city. Whatever is going on in in the uh, the, the natural uh, social realms of that city is what the church is either uh, the church is allowing because the church is the highest authority. And so if the church doesn't allow it, guess what? It won't be able to penetrate the other realms. And what will be able to penetrate is what the church allows, kingdom authority. And that's when you get revival in an entire city, when the church says yes to God and no to the enemy. But when the church says yes to the enemy, opens the door to satanic influences. Those satanic influences trickle down through every sector of society that go into the government, the education, the entertainment, the, the uh, economics. All the other sectors of society are then influenced by the, the uh, kingdom of darkness. But if the church will say yes to the kingdom of God, no to the kingdom of darkness, yes to the, the authority of God, what you end up with is on earth as it is in heaven. Governmental authority released in a geographic release, uh, region just like it is in the heavenly realms, which we're talking about like what David had. You know, in First uh, Chronicles 18, the very first thing that it references that happened with David was this. He sets up night and day prayer. The Lord makes him these, uh, I mean, amazing critical promises. And, and then David goes, you're giving us peace, huh? And the Lord said, yeah, I'm giving you peace. David goes, let me take this authority and let me manifest it. And he begins to go around, and he literally, all the enemies that had, that had stood against Israel, he goes around and he literally routes every single opposing nation that's been giving Israel a hard time. Even under this, that they actually set up military garrisons from Israel in other nations. They actually had occupation of other nations, Syria and Edom and, and different areas, and they literally took over that whole region. I mean, David did a phenomenal job of manifesting the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of Israel was uh, never as powerful as it was under David and then Solomon. It actually expanded under Solomon because it was part of the Lord's promise. And so I'm saying all that to say this. Government, the government of God is released through night and day prayer around the throne room in heaven and around places that will set up on the earth. He releases government through the place of night and day prayer. We have biblical examples, and this is what God's doing on the earth today. Now, with that in mind, I want to share a prophetic story. Um, I was I was brought into the prayer movement because of the vision to see uh, our city touched with the spirit of revival. And uh, that's really how I got into it. That was my on-ramp. Some people, the on-ramp is just, I've been an intercessor for 25 years and this makes the most sense and I want to sit in a prayer room and pray. Some people, it's just like, I'm a worship leader and this makes sense. We do worship all day long, and I want to lead worship. And different people have different on-ramps. Well, for me, I was gripped over the issue of revival. And the Lord had spoken to me definitively over years about this issue, that he was going to break out in power and move in, in revival in the city of Atlanta in a major way. 
And so for me, the, the on-ramp was simply this. If God's going to move in revival, well, the best way that I know how to do it is to spend as much time as I can in fasting and prayer until breakthrough comes. It's just, what I, it's just how I did the math. And that was the on-ramp for me. So the Lord, He tweaked that as I got involved, uh, you know, in night and day prayer. And let me see that it's about far more than that. It's about the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in fullness when Jesus returns and rules the globe. And we'll be able to touch a lot of revival on the way there. So I get, I get both and. And so uh, I'm in, I've just moved to Kansas City, Kansas City now with my family. And, and let's just, this is September of 2003. And uh, we, you know, sort of get there and get settled. And it takes us about a week to get our stuff together. And, and um, maybe uh, three weeks in, I get a letter from a friend that's here in Atlanta. And this letter is, a, there's a cassette tape in it, and it's a letter explaining that there was a prophecy that had been given that I probably needed to take a look at. And so I, um, honestly, I just kind of set it in my car, thinking I would, I would listen to it sometime. And, and I didn't listen to it for about a month. And so October 23rd, 2003, I go, you know what, I'm going to listen to this. I read the letter, I go, man, that seems important, I better listen to this. And, um, and so I, I put the tape in, it's October 23 now, and, and the tape is a prophetic man by the name of Sean Bowles, and he's ministering here in Atlanta at a church, well actually it was at a church that I was scheduled to be at in another month, I was supposed to be there in three weeks, and so he's, he's ministering at this church, and he's describing that, and, and, the, and the tape is from 1996, okay, so I'm listening to uh, this thing in 2003, October 23rd, but the tape is from 1996, okay? And so he's, he's sharing this prophetic experience that he had at Stone Mountain Park. And so he's at Stone Mountain Park, and there's this, um, these five horses uh, in this, uh, this statue that was there. It was really there. This isn't part of the prophetic part. There's this real statue Five horses. It was there to commemorate the Berlin Wall coming down. It was at Stone Mountain Park. So he's there with these these uh, five horses at the statue, and the Lord begins to speak to him. He begins to have an encounter with the Lord, and so the Lord tells him several different things, but the the main thing the Lord tells him is this: that there is going to come a release of apostolic government, which I would I would think of that as kingdom authority, kingdom government. Apostolic government is going to be released in the in the city of Atlanta. In a, in a major way, and when that uh, season of apostolic government comes, when it's released, it will be followed by a massive, massive revival. I said, amen, amen to that. And, uh, and he said, and this will be confirmed, this prophetic word will be confirmed by a plane crash. A plane will crash into Stone Mountain, and in the season that the plane crashes into Stone Mountain, that's the season that this word is beginning to, to happen. It's, it's the season of the, the fulfillment of this prophetic word. Well, the reason why the, the, the brother had sent me the tape was because the plane had just crashed into Stone Mountain. And so seven years later, now again, the tape was from 1996. Seven years later, actually to the day, 
Seven years later, even to the hour that the man was giving, that Sean Bowles was giving the prophetic word about the plane crash and apostolic government and revival and all that, a plane actually crashed into Stone Mountain. And uh, it was seven years of day. It was September. And in fact, the prophetic word was given on September 15th. Well, September 15th is an interesting day to me because it's my birthday. So there I am. I'm listening to this thing. And I go, huh. Wow, that's cool. So a plane crashed and the Sean Bowles. That's very, very interesting. And it, I thought maybe, hey, maybe this is a real one. You know, you never know. So that's part A of the story. Part B is there's another prophetic man who I had been trying to get in touch with who lived on the West Coast. And I'd been trying to get in touch with him for three days. And uh, I was trying to get his phone number. I was calling another friend and saying, hey, I need to talk to this guy. And uh, for another reason, another set of circumstances. And so um, whenever, I, whenever I, I, I call him, I leave him a voicemail. And then he calls me and he goes, hey, he leaves me a voicemail. He says, hey, brother, you've been on my heart for three days. Which is very strange because I didn't really know the guy. And so whenever we get on the phone, this is what happened. He said, yeah, three days ago, I walked in, and I'm in my office, and I, I'm looking around, and there on my desk, he goes, there's your phone number. Now, I've never talked to the man before. Somebody had given him my phone number, our, our mutual friend had, six months earlier. And he said, uh, there your phone number was, sitting there on my desk. And I thought, huh, who is that kid? I don't know who that guy is. I, I, strange I'd have this phone number. Next day, he comes in, and the phone number is in front of his desk on the floor. He walks in his office, and there's my phone number on the floor now in front of his desk. And he picks it up, and he goes to throw it away. And he's thinking, this is weird. And he goes to throw it, and the Holy Spirit says, no. So he takes it, and he, and he puts it back, you know, on the counter. The next day, which is the day that I ended up talking to him, he walks in, and the phone number has been moved from the counter back to his desk, to the phone. So when I get on the phone with him, he says, man, your phone number's been following me around my office for the last three days. I said, okay. Well, what's going on? And, and I, said, uh, I said, well, what, what's happening? What, what do you feel like? Because he goes, I feel like I need to speak to you. I, and I said, okay, so what is it? And he goes, well, I've got this word that I feel like I need to release to, uh, to somebody in Georgia. But I, I thought it was for someone, but it must be for you. And I said, well, what's the word? He said, well, the Lord is speaking to me, and he's telling me this, that he is going to release apostolic government in the city of Atlanta, and that that, that season of release of the apostolic government is going to be followed by a massive move of the Spirit. A great revival is going to hit the city. And, and I'm sitting there on the phone with this guy, and, and I go, Could you, okay, can you say that all again? Because remember, this is the same day now that I've listened to this other audio tape. They're completely unrelated. They don't even know of each other. The weirdest part to me is I, I drove around with the tape in my car and just stuck it in. And just happens to be the day that I listened to that tape is the day that I end up talking to the guy on the phone. Just random. It could have been any day. So I said, okay, please tell me, tell me that again. And I'm shaking. I'm shaking now. He goes, well... There's coming a season for the release of apostolic government. I go, you mean like kingdom authority, like, like God is going to release authority in the city? He goes, yes. 
And I go, and so, and then what? And he goes, and it's going to be followed by a major move of God. I go, now would you say that's revival? Because I'm, I'm just trying to make sure I'm getting it clear. He goes, would you, I go, would you say that's like revival? He goes, yes, God is going to break out in a massive move of the Spirit of God. He's going to break out with revival after that season of apostolic government is released. I go, okay, thank you very much. We get off the phone. I remember that day, I, I, I drive, so I drive home. And Mary Beth's there, and we're having a friend that's uh, coming over for dinner. And I am I'm speaking so fast, I, I'm sure I just sounded like just, you know, this giddy schoolgirl, you know. And I try to explain what's happening. I'd never had um, that level of a, of a confirmation um, where, you know, the guy gives the prophecy in 96, 2003. It's fulfilled. It's fulfilled with a plane crash. Uh, it's actually on my birthday, and then again, that same day, an unrelated guy gives me the same prophetic word, apostolic government unto a massive move of the Spirit of God. So this past week, just random, a couple of our staff brought up that prophecy in regard to the season that we're at right now. And then thirdly, somebody gave me a dream that incorporated a plane crash. And I thought, Lord, I think... You're speaking about this issue of the release of authority and the spirit of revival in our city. And if you were here last week, um, just to be honest, I mean, I preached the message on Nehemiah, and it was, it was fine. It was good. But while I was preaching, I was realizing, oh, my gosh, Lord, you're speaking to me about Nehemiah, building the house of prayer and a break-in of revival. Beloved, the release of government and a break-in of revival. On earth as it is in heaven, the throne room established in our city and a break-in of revival. And I want to say this, and I want to proclaim it. This isn't about me being cool. This is about what God is saying I believe He's going to do in our city. But there is a connection between the establishment of night and day prayer and this, there's, this is a seat of governmental authority in the kingdom of God that God has graced us and favored us to have, that we would have the ability to come before the Lord in the Spirit, night and day, and cry out in worship and prayer. That is a seat of governmental authority in the kingdom of God. And I believe the Lord is releasing apostolic authority, and I don't mean like I'm the apostle. What I mean is little a, apostolic, like the days of the apostles. He's releasing apostolic authority in our city through nine-day prayer. And, beloved, I want to prophesy it and say it strongly. It's, it's here, it's coming, and it's here, and it's going to be released, and it's going to be followed by a massive move of the Spirit of God. We are going to see revival in a, in a measure we've never seen in this, in this city. And I just want to proclaim that. I just want to get that out there and get that in the air. And, and I, I just wonder... If this isn't the season for something, and you, you know, it's always like that. You, you don't know if it's now or later or how it works. But I tell you what, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't mind putting my faith out there. I don't mind believing in the thing that's just beyond. I don't mind, believe, I don't mind locking into faith in the one who does these things. And I just don't know how you set up a prophecy and seven years later to the day, I mean, who can do that? Who can make the plane crash happen? Who can do that? Who can set up the two completely different guys separated by seven years? 
And they prophesied the exact same word. Who can make it on my birthday? (laughs) And I look at these things and I say, Lord, whatever it is you're establishing, be it unto me according to your word. Whatever it is you're doing, let it be according to your word. You know, I imagine when Mary had the angel show up. And the angel says, you're going to give birth to a baby. And she says, impossible. I've never been with a man. He goes, no, the seed of the Most High is in you. Your, your son will be called Son of the Most High. I imagine there's this place of, am I going to believe in stuff that my eyes cannot see? Or am I going to anchor myself to practicality in living in this realm? And she says, yes, I will believe. And let it be unto me according to your word. You know what? I am going to lock into this. I believe the Lord has favored us. I know he's favored us in a crazy way that we would have 24-hour prayer. I, I mean, I, I don't even say that. That's not a flaunt. I'm not flaunting that in an arrogant way. I just talk to guys all around the nation. I know how hard this is to do. And it's been hard for us. But as, as difficult and challenging as it's been for us, we have experienced amazing favor and grace. The idea that we've got a 24-hour worship and prayer meeting that's continued for three years on earth as it is in heaven. Beloved, do you understand since Genesis 1, that's never happened in this city? Since Genesis 1, what do you think the Lord's doing? He's setting up something in the spirit because he wants to establish something in Atlanta as a kingdom outpost of authority. And I believe he's going to establish them all over the place. I believe this same story is going to be repeated all over the earth in the next decade and decades to come. But here we are, right in the middle of it, right in the beginning of it. And I say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Establish kingdom, authority, establish apostolic government, establish it here in this city, do what you want to do, and then break in with a revival that will melt us all. Break in with a revival that will shock every power base, it will shift every system, break in with revival that will turn everything that's upside down, turn it right side up, and, and I mean, I am looking for the revival that, that it shakes the doorposts of all of our structures, you know what I'm saying? I'm looking for that thing where God comes and he rearranges everything according to his will. I'm looking for that thing that where we see power released, not for the glory of any man, but for the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus' name would be famous in Atlanta. And I tell you, I've I've been locked into this idea of revival for the last 13 years. But I believe we're closer now than we've ever been. I'm not pulling back. I won't pull back. And that's what I believe God's giving to us in our community. Zeal for the house of prayer unto the release of kingdom government in this city. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and let's just stand. God wants to release government. He wants to rule and reign in the city. That's why he's given us a throne. I want to release that word because I believe there's something about it in this hour. I think there's something important next weekend with Lou coming. 
I don't know exactly how it all fits, but I just think there's something important. I'm not saying revival starts next weekend. I'm just saying I think it's an important time. Let's, let's gather together in this hour. Let's present ourselves before the Lord. Let's ask Him to do what it is He wants to do. Amen. Jesus. Jesus.